0: Pie. No. pie pie
1: <laughs> okay we gotta get pie
0: all right oh my god more
1: pie I'm more, more pie. pie all right so um, i'm gonna put this on pause
0: i noticed that in california people are trained to say illinois and i don't know why it's not hmm. the name of the state
1: <laughs> and not very many noisy people came out of the state so.
0: no we're, we're quiet people for the most part
1: Welcome uh, We're gonna sit down and pie. about gonna talk about that. Welcome to and pie, the podcast about effectiveness. This is where I sit down with an effective person and hear what makes them tick and how they're effective and what they do. While you listen to this podcast, be a sponge and ring out what you don't need and retain and try out the things that could help you become more effective. And while you're doing so, Share those out on Twitter or Instagram, and they're both the same call signs, which is at bourbon and pie. A little bit about me is I've spent most of my career in high tech in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I've worked with branding, packaging, marketing, and product people. And when I was program managing, basically, or in all of these roles, really, I've worked with people at all levels and all functions. And what I found intriguing is while working with these individuals, I found that the most effective ones took their role to a deeper level and they constantly found better ways to be impactful. And basically, they're essentially highly effective. And I've been intrigued about this and I'm writing a book on it. And these interviews are part of my research. So I thought to share them out with you. If you have an interest in enhancing your effectiveness or you'd like to see about helping your team become more effective, then go to bourbonandpie.com missionpossible mission possible and select the questionnaire that best suits your needs. When your answers come in and if they align to something I think that I could help with, then I'll reach out to you and find some time for us to talk. This podcast was recorded in May of 2019 in The Galley, which is my kitchen in San Jose, California. And I'm talking to Crystal Shafiobadi, a program director for a nonprofit organization who provides human and social services to residents in a Santa Clara county. I like this story because of her diverse cultural background and how she places high value on travel to enhance her management skills. And as you'll see, she also pushes her team to do the same. And she makes sure that they're cross-trained so they can cover each other when they take the time off. As you'll hear, listening and understanding are two key mindsets, among others, that have helped her grow and become a manager. And becoming a manager started at a very young age for her. You have Angel's Envy Bourbon. I do. Yeah. And then for me, I have a a Douglas. Okay, what am I drinking? I'll tell you what I'm drinking. I have a Douglas and Todd, Douglas and Todd bourbon whiskey. That's what I'm drinking. Okay. And uh, Crystal, I had to pick up Crystal's dish. Now, all of our di- dishes from from Kelly, Boom Boom, my wife, mm-hmm. have pictures of dogs or something, some kind of images on them. So I felt like it was appropriate to pick out the, the dish of a dog that best matched you. Mm-hmm. Similarly, it would be ideal to see if the in some way the bourbon mashed you and the pie mashed you in some way or another like <laughs> that's pers- asking <laughing> a lot <laughs> <laughs> it is. so i'm trying to find a connection here but i did find a connection with the plate because the plate is a uh as a dalmatian and um i met you through you know how you know a volunteer organization that we are part of with the o- organization development network mm-hmm. and uh and you, in many ways, saved us like the Dalmatian, like a dog who who was representative of saving people, firehouse. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought the Dalmatian dog would be a perfect representation. So that's why I picked that plate for you. And you heard me say that before.
0: I did, and I'm flattered. That's very thoughtful.
1: Yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's a good one. So what my plate was a a squirrelly little dog, so a hound, I believe. Yeah, because
0: you go after something when you want to. Is
1: that true? That's mm-hmm. what I'm sticking with. <laughs> <laughs> the hounds, I think, of like...
0: Ar, ar.
1: They have like awful barks and they're annoying. And
0: well, when they find what they want, they go after it. Mm. They let the world know. So I remember, I tie that back to when we met and when I was looking for how to fully engage with that organization, with that that professional volunteer organization, uh, you were the person who really connected with me and came after me <laughs> in a way that helped uh, envelop me into the organization, because without that, I would have left quite early on.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. It was obvious mm. for me to see that you cared and you want to be a part of it, and it was uh, easy for, in that yeah. regard. And so I think the organization got really lucky. And so it was good while it lasted and, you know, no longer, we're both no longer part of that, but
0: it was a good partnership while we were both there. Definitely.
1: Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the time we were both working some crazy hours. So it was a really hard balance, yes. right? Like yes. you, I mean, emails, middle of the night, I don't know. It was, it was a lot going on there. Right.
0: It was a lot to have a full time job and be a full time, so to speak, volunteer for an organization. I mean, really, the hours are what you make of it. Um, But I was certainly dedicated and wanted to both make a difference for the organization and for myself, make professional connections and see what I could learn from the many sages, really, who were a part of that organization.
1: Mm -hmm. So, this podcast is about uh, people who are able to. kick, kick butt at what they do. They're, um, people in management and are in whole different areas of, you know, construction, police force, education, high tech. And, um, so just, you know, give folks a little bit about, um, you know, um, about your journey and, and, you know, where you came from really, and kind of what your upbringing was like.
0: Okay. So I grew up in rural Illinois, 50 miles South of Chicago which is very different from 50 miles south of San Francisco. There's a lot of cornfields and forest in between where I grew up and uh, southern, the southernmost part of Chicago. Um, and uh, I'm the daughter of an immigrant and a farm girl. Um, and uh, we were raised um, to work hard and be honest. Um, I got my undergraduate degree from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Go line. Necessary. Plug. Um, and then I moved to Central America. I moved to Guatemala.
1: No, that's on your own.
0: I was on my own. Okay. That's um,
1: after college, after high school. I
0: graduated college. I got my undergraduate degree in communications uh, and advertising. Mm. Um, I didn't and, know that.
1: Um, yeah. My degree is in advertising.
0: So advertising, it's, it's such a long title on my actual undergraduate degree. It's... Uh, from the School of Agricultural Communication and Environmental Sciences, in the specific area of communications with an emphasis on advertising. <laughs> so we just say communications advertising.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's a long one. It's a long one. Um, so before you went, yeah. okay. So you when you went away and everything, I want to first uh, ask: um, daughter of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the immigrant from Iran. And and okay, so definitely two different cultures there Mm -hmm. was there did you have that in your home did you have uh you know did you you know speak farsi did you you know uh take on some of the the cultural things from that Mm -hmm. side and also your mom's
0: yeah well thank you for asking that that's such an important um piece of who i am we we mostly lived the quote-unquote american life
1: Pie. Did you hear the pie? Pie is ready. All right, hold that pie. Um, The pie is coming out of the oven, so hold on just a second. That makes this show right bourbon pie. It's a real. We're really eating pie. (laughs) We're on on pause until the the pie pie comes out. This is the second pie. (laughs) So hold on. Pie number two. (laughs) Okay. So, we're talking about your home and Mm -hmm. uh, the cultures Mm -hmm. and. You know, having being exposed to two different cultures, probably mm-hmm. the norm to you, but then what was it like in your home and mm-hmm. you know, how, how was that?
0: So, we, we, what I was saying is we lived, quote unquote, the American life more than anything. Mm. Um, we spoke some Barsi, but very minimal. Uh, my parents did not want us to speak Barsi outside the home because of uh, the difficulties they'd been through. Mm. Um, after the revolution, uh, which for the U S was 79 to, um, I think 80, 80, 81. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, my dad faced a lot of discrimination.
1: Um, and did your mom meet him
0: before there? That, no, they met in the U S.
1: Okay. And he was a student, you, uh, a student in university
0: student when they met, um, and they lived here for a couple years, um, when he finished his degree and. They got married and had their first and second child, moved to Iran for a bit, and then the revolution started, so they moved back to the U.S. um, and eventually landed in Illinois, where I grew up um, somewhat close to my mom's family. Um, So, uh, we spoke some Farsi in the house, and I did get to meet uh, two of my aunts and uncles and my grandparents from Iran when I was very young. Um, But culturally, we really stayed On the american side so to speak um so you know that was visiting my grandparents on their farm every two weeks playing with the cows and the chickens and learning how to milk a cow and pick up the eggs and watch the pigs yeah and all of my cousins and uncles and aunts lived near my grandparents um Mm -hmm. so they were also all living on farms for the most part
1: so were you one of those kind of kids with that you had to wake up early and work in the morning? No, we
0: were not on a farm. So okay. we were one of the sort of two families that were different in my mom's family. My mom was a, the one girl with five brothers. Okay. Um, so all of her brothers, all but one, uh, all had farms near my grandparents. So we would visit them okay. and sort of play farm, so to speak, right. on the weekends.
1: Right. Yeah. And you didn't have to, not obligated, you would just wake up and it'd be kind of a fun thing.
0: Yes, it was a fun yeah. thing. Right. Uh, and okay. in the summers, we would stay a week or two with my grandparents on the farm and help out. Uh, but it was fun.
1: Yeah. It was always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that experience, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think now they're starting at like the magnet schools are doing stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. but like, when did that have any influence on you at that moment? Like, or is it just something like, is a good memory? You know, or did you think at one point, like, I don't want to do this kind of work, or this is something that I really like the whole idea of it, you know, farming, whatever. Oh, that's have-
0: interesting. Um, I, I remember as a little girl, um, there were three cousins of mine who were near my age, um, who every time I visited, uh, we would just be getting into playing in the evening and their parents would say, okay, we have to go because everybody has to get up early and do chores. And I never understood what chores was. Uh, it took me many years before I finally understood that chores was getting up super early, but maybe before the sun, as the sun rose, uh, to feed the pigs and do the, all the, all the farm chores that they had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, it was so hard for me to understand that, um, and it was not something I wanted for myself. I love animals, and I loved being around it, um, and kind of that the beauty of like the dirt in your hands, um, but mm-hmm. but not something that I wanted. My my own dad, you know, worked in an office. He's a food scientist, um, so working with people and with his hands, but in a very different manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also saw how much of a struggle it was for my uncles and aunts and their families economically right they were they were such hard workers but they didn't necessarily have um easy lives pay for college that was always a conversation or even to get cars
1: mm. wow so,
0: so i could see on our side myself my siblings um we benefited a lot from what my dad did and my mom did right. not work uh, mm. she started working when i went to kindergarten but um sort of whatever she could find in the school.
1: Yeah. And so, um, yeah, uh, you know, fast forward it to where, to where, you know, I just want to get a little idea of what that was like, um, to, you know, you said you, you moved out of, out of the country after, Mm -hmm. after college. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that what was the, uh, thinking behind that. Was it just, I want any, anywhere, but here, (laughs) or is it just, or just like you were drawn for particular reasons. You read a book about the country and you felt like this is where you want to be what was it
0: well so the original impetus behind me going international was um i had been taking uh spanish throughout high school and i wanted to become fluent in spanish
1: um
0: i wanted to experience life outside the u.s i had read uh and there were many studies around uh, to begin your career it was going to be a lot easier to exit the country and re-enter with international experience so that you could climb the ladder much more quickly. And side note, that's true, in my case, for sure. Um, and, uh, and then on top of that, I really wanted to travel. I wanted to see something else besides the U.S. I had been outside the U.S. very briefly uh, in my adolescent years. Um,
1: Tijuana for the weekend.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> Canada. Canada,
1: because you're right <laughs> Canada, there. because I was in Illinois.
0: Right. Uh, Which is and like... I did a two-week stint uh, with high school um, to Ireland, uh, Wales, England, Scotland. Oh, wow. Which was very cool, yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted all of those things. And it came about because I learned of an organization that helps place um, interested individuals in, into employment as well as a host family. And I was actually aiming for Argentina. And for whatever reason, the organization I had found tried to send me to India. So after several months of that, I parted ways with them. And just by sheer luck, I met someone through my sister... Um, who was going to Guatemala because her family's from there. And she invited me to go if I wanted, and her family had some stores and I could help them for six months. And I said, yeah, and I bought a one-way ticket. (laughs) Wow. And that's how it happened in the end. There was no plan to go to Guatemala. I didn't even really remember where Guatemala was. (laughs)
1: And also no plan of when you're going to come back.
0: No, I mean, the idea was six months to a year. Okay. Um, But... I didn't exactly know when I was coming back. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's a big, big, uh, a big move, right. From a it was girl a very, from the Midwest. Right. Very big move.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Family was supportive or not, or they were scared. Yeah. They
0: didn't know. They knew less about Guatemala than I did.
1: Well, um, both parents are kind of equally scared. It was more of a concern or just, uh,
0: they were both equally scared about it. They also, I mean, my dad has always been, um, my, my backbone, I would say he, so when he knew that this was happening, he started giving me resources instead of fighting it. Yeah. Um, you know,
1: like you a know. gun, you know,
0: <laughs> Ship, yeah, no, um, uh, he gave me,
1: you know, blackjack. like black jacks. Okay. You can carry that on a plane.
0: <laughs> he gave me resources, like check this website, right. For what immune, what, uh, what vaccinations you need before you
1: go and so oh, on and so forth. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um,
0: more practical things. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so you know, this is like leading into kind of where you are, your mm-hmm. thought process, and you know how you um. uh, are, where you are now, and um, and how, how what what's your philosophy really, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't want to wash that over of all the things you've experienced because. You're, I consider you more of a world traveler and you haven't been around the actual world, but for the most part, you covered a lot of countries. Like how, how many f- so far?
0: I have not counted countries. I have been to all the continents except for Antarctica. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, you know, when we first started talking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I, I consider myself pretty decent traveled, travel, but, but definitely you are. And at a young age, and it seems like you, you're, you've got an adventure bone. <laughs> going on something that really drives you there yeah and so does that play into uh kind of what you do now in some ways uh or, or at least play into like uh, an overall um belief that you've developed from all this travel and your learnings and stuff like that and you know I just want to get an idea of, yeah. of of what you know how much that that's a part of you and I feel I feel like it's still a part of you like it's still it something is. you want to do right
0: it is absolutely I'm always counting down to my next trip Mm-hmm. 71 days to the dominican republic i <laughs> um, love it i i think that's for, a big for question for the baseball
1: and cigars is that what why is it for the bachata oh bachata yeah
0: the dance the music yeah. well yeah. oh dancing is a dancing. huge part
1: of you too i mean that's yes. like i'd say for for me knowing you the past year I, that's a, yeah seems it's a like definitive the biggest...
0: piece of my life at this it, point absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's such a big question. And I got to
1: say um, to the people listening in that, that your huge smile when you say that word pachata and <laughs> definitely something you love to do. Like sounds like a big, a big love of yours.
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's something that, that makes me happy. Um, and anybody who's ever been or will go to the Dominican public will hear that music everywhere they go. And it's so beautiful. Um, so I, when it comes to travel and what it, brings to my life currently i think the biggest way that i bring it into my current position is um i constantly encourage my team to to take vacation whether it's travel or not take vacation it's important yes we have criteria and parameters that they have to follow when asking but i tell them to ask for it plan it we always are going to have work. We're always going to be busy. If you don't plan that time, you're not going to have it. And we are very fortunate that we do get a good amount of paid time off at my organization.
1: So, Which is? Excessive.
0: <laughs> much more than when what's normal. European
1: um, four weeks? What is it?
0: Above. More than that.
1: It's more than four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really liberal. Yeah.
0: It is. I mean, it, it takes time to get up to that.
1: But, oh, okay. So, yeah. it's something it earned, like, you every start, year. So.
0: Uh, oh gosh, it's been a few years. So I've been there almost eight years now. Um, I believe you start with two weeks, which is still more than most places. Yeah. Um, and we get all the school holidays off. Right? We get um, mm. President's Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and so on. Mm. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. We're very fortunate. Yeah. Um, so, I, I encourage them to, to plan ahead plan their time off, take it, because regardless, we are all going to pull together while they're away to make sure it happens. Um, and that's been a focus of mine, too, to make sure that we are cross, uh, cross-trained cross so that you can take a break. <laughs> you shouldn't have to think that everything is just going to fall to pieces because you're not here and it's going to cause you more stress.
1: So that's interesting. So so that's something a lot of uh, management doesn't always think about is cross-training. Really? Yeah. When, imagine. when I have, um, been working with, with teams where, um, like, uh, side-by-side coding and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where, where you're sitting next to somebody and you're learning what they're learning. So there's mm-hmm. a, a, a nice binary learning process happening mm-hmm. one-on-one, mm-hmm. um, really hard to do and set up. And, um, when it's been done, it's worked really good. Um, but. It's something that companies don't think about. And it's mm-hmm. only in the, the times where someone has to leave an emergency or someone has to, you know, bereavement or something like that, mm-hmm. where then they realize it's something that's really needed. Um, so it's yeah. – you're thinking of that in terms of, like, people just need to take the time off, not worry about it, but then make sure they're cross-trained. So that, And that, that thinking, um, it's obviously top of mind mm-hmm. because you have to have things covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that – I guess that means – that you would have to allow for that, that before they leave for a training time or the handoff time and Mm -hmm. all that stuff, which I I guess could take a lot of time, right?
0: Not necessarily. So, and originally this cross training came into play for me in my current position specifically, because when I came into the position, there was nothing documented. Mm. And as there is, when there's new leadership, there was, there was turnover. There's churn. Um, And knowledge was lost and I would say more than knowledge was processes, just Mm. simply keeping the work going. Um, because since I've been there, I'm very proud to say that the, the, the rate at which and the quality of, of, of work that my team does has improved exponentially. Um, and, and so really it was just sort of the day to day Mm. really kind of came to a grinding halt when I lost folks. So, um, My intention first was let's document the basics of what we do. So when somebody new comes in, we can hand them this very basic manual and say, please just do this to get started. And then we can build it from there. Um, And since then, we have built a full-on orientation and training program onboarding as well. and, uh, and we have manuals for everything so that we can say, consult the manual before you ask the question. Um, and, uh, and that has allowed us to then say, okay, now that we can, we know we can always do the work, the basic, then we can get better at the work that we're doing. And now we can also take vacations and breathe. So hmm. it's been a long process. Um,
1: like uh, how uh, long did it take you to get enough material?
0: Yeah. That's a great question. I, it has been a continuous improvement process. That That yeah. is a big piece of how I work. Um, so you create something small within the time and the energy that you have. Yeah. And you put it to the test. Right. And that's maybe somebody new coming in or somebody new taking the role on. Right. A big piece of us cross training is simply going, hey, person B, I created this manual. Please, with your fresh eyes, just run through it. Track changes Just mark it up, right? What did we miss? What can we do better? What makes it easier for you to do this without asking any questions and so on and so forth. And it gets passed on to each person.
1: So that's interesting. And that would be just a part of their job. Like part of your, like, in other words, it's not in addition to, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's integrated for what uh, what they, what they do, right? Yep. So,
0: yep. So for people able to do the same things, some may do it faster. Some may do it with more ease, but everybody can do it.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting yeah. because, uh, you know, you, you really lose a lot and I, and the, the, the work in progress is mm-hmm. probably, it's a constant, right? Because as things have to evolve and change and like you are saying, trying mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you get to the point where some of those, that documentation might, might be a little stale or it might have to be. Definitely. Some of it becomes obsolete. Right. Yeah. Right. It sounds like it's, it's a payoff, right? Uh, I mean if you were to start your own organization, uh-huh. um, is this a model that you would take with you or did you feel do you feel like you kind of started something that is a little tough to maintain or you know something that might I just think, be taking a different approach
0: Yeah I, I think one thing I wish uh, were easier um, and I hope will be easier in the future with the systems that we currently have at, at where I'm working now is um, how to create a wiki Right, it's some sort of knowledge base where everyone can go. What I've done is created a knowledge base, a knowledge bank. We call it um, within just my team. Many others could benefit from it.
1: Um, you mean but other industries, other sorry,
0: other programs within the same organization. Uh-huh. Just my, my yeah. peers and their staff. They could right. benefit from it as well, and we would benefit from their input and and um so, and usage of it. But um, an we don't have
1: a wiki. Because you're an in-company wiki. Wiki. mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like basically something that everybody... A knowledge bank that everybody could pull from. Yeah. yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Lessons learned, um, archived projects, projects that have been completed or discontinued, but there's some sort of documentation. Um, So what we've created is something that works for us, uh, but it's just our small group. Whereas really there should be systems in place that allow you to share across the organization. And I'm certain that these exist we don't currently have the, the technological infrastructure to support it. Um, but I know if I were to do this again, I would look at it in that sense. How can I build it from the beginning so that it's easily shareable across all programs, departments, teams.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's nice tool to have. And, uh, mm-hmm. I I do find that sometimes like, uh, you know, when, when documentation is involved and, and it's not even being used, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a frustration with it, you know, because sometimes yeah. the, the ask is that that there needs to be documentation. And yeah. and in uh, other companies, it's is mandatory. You do have to have it. Uh, and it's still surprising the amount of times that it's really not even used, you know, or, yeah. or it's not updated. And you might look at some documentation that might be a couple of years old from some, mm-hmm. you know, piece of code you're working on or something. Yeah. Um, so definitely something, something that seems like it's really paid off for you. Yeah. Um, getting back to, you know, sort of your, your approach to things. This is like a good method you do. You're, you have an awareness about, you know, balance, you know, about life, Given your own life and you're, you're putting mm-hmm. it on your team as well. Um, what are some like underlying, I would say, beliefs or philosophies or your approaches, you know, that you think about every day, that's something you want to uh, instill in your team mm-hmm. uh, that your team uh, it, it shares it's just a foundational uh, belief for, or a philosophy. Do you have anything like that?
0: Sure, I have a lot. Um, there's actually a, a small note that I keep on my keyboard or near my keyboard at, at work, um, and I put this on there years ago. At this point, it's really instilled in me, but at the time when I found it, which was maybe about six years ago, it really hit home and it was be be tough on standards but soft on people mm. because yeah. I definitely found myself in my early career finding it hard to not be tough on people and when I heard it that way it made so much sense to me that of course it's not the person mm. it's the work and we are not our work um so what we need to do is, is help them understand the standards and work towards those um and and uh another philosophy who um, One of my greatest mentors taught me was seek to understand always any situation, no matter how frustrated or upset you might be with someone. If you approach them with this mentality of seeking to understand, you'll gain their buy-in and you'll gain their partnership in finding a solution or at least working towards something together rather than pure resistance.
1: I really like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, for those um, people who are familiar with some cultures, uh, it's usually those who speak the first and loudest, and um, when even they're hearing a point of view, to not really try to understand, mm-hmm. um, but to label and and you know criticize and yeah. and stop the what would be understanding but not knowing that they're doing it it's like yeah we try that doesn't work but mm-hmm. that's a that's a really nice approach right because you're really if you're constantly in the mindset of trying to understand mm-hmm. then you, you don't start uh, the judging stops right you, you have right. to yeah you ask the questions
0: you allow yourself to forget what you know as well
1: that's it yeah yeah, yeah.
0: because what i know is different than what the receptionist knows what she knows to be true is her truth. And so it's important for me to be able to speak with her and get her input. It's just as valid, if not more valid.
1: Wow. Depending great. on what the topic I, I is. Really, right? yeah, that's really, I, that's really powerful. So that's really helped you. I, that's I guess. driven.
0: Uh, that is driven. I would say 90% of what I've done in my work and how I've built anything, um, systems and processes and teams where I currently work.
1: Now, um, of those values that you've either instilled or just practice um uh do you, are any, do you have any that um have helped your team to enable them to be effective or even you mm-hmm. know um empowered in, in i guess mm-hmm. and 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 what this whole podcast is about is being human
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and so is there anything that your team as is a uh, practicing are good at, or do you feel like their effectiveness is there given some of these traits that you, uh, have been practicing?
0: I, I'm extremely proud of the team that I have. Um, and we've been together for quite a few years now. So the youngest, so to speak on the team, um, up until I have a new person on the team now. So up until she came on in October, um, the youngest was at four years with me. And the next two were five, four uh, four and a half and, and almost five. So um, we've been together for quite a, a bit of time, um, learning and developing. Um, and, yeah. and,
1: and why don't you mm-hmm. just go ahead and, and say what it is that you do. So I, I <laughs> sure. should have started off with that, but uh, uh, yeah. Sure,
0: so um, so I'm a program director for a nonprofit organization, um, and we provide human and social services to residents of our county. Um, My team specifically is what we call the gateway into the organization. We uh, receive phone calls from individuals seeking assistance, um, and we either help them immediately understand the services that our organization provides, or at the same time, we also allow them to understand the network of services available throughout the entire county. In addition to that, because it's a nonprofit, and we wear many, many hats, mm-hmm. um, we oversee all marketing for the entire organization. Um, we are a large nonprofit. Um, we have three offices and um, over 100 employees. Um, the workload is heavy. And I can definitely say that we were effective in that I mentioned earlier when I came into this position, um, it was sort of baseline. Uh, the team was... Answering the phones and folding brochures,
1: um,
0: literally just folding brochures. <laughs> um, I,
1: I would expect to do that at a nonprofit. I I wouldn't. Um, so um, that's probably why you're in and I'm not. <laughs> um,
0: so now, my team runs up to eighty projects in a year. And, um, and yes, we still take the phone calls and we are better at the way we manage the phone calls. We have a quality assurance program, um, where we call monitor one another rather than just me as the supervisor doing it. Um, and we built that ourselves. Um, I, I sort of just gave the direction and asked someone to lead it and coach as we build it. Um, but it is about giving peer feedback mm-hmm. and receiving peer feedback, which right. is maybe the harder of the two. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and making sure that we're all aligned around the same goals, the same tone that we're using, the same words that we're using, and so on. And when it comes to the marketing projects, where I mentioned we run about 80 a year, and now we're much more agile. We're able to run one project uh, that maybe used to take four months and two months now. And we're able to just move so much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in all aspects, um, the team owns it. Um, I think to go back to a bigger piece of your question, what... what traits maybe do I do I help them to build? Uh, we talk a lot about leadership expectations and pillars and um, that's accountability and courage, managing your own talent uh, when it comes to both of those um, as well as
1: when uh, you say that managing mm-hmm. your own talent mm-hmm. uh, what do you mean by that do you mean by uh, managing uh, the growth of your own skill sets needed? Is that what you mean?
0: That's a, that's a good way to look at it. It is, it is, uh, so I sort of said it backwards. I suppose you could say managing talent and that comes to accountability, accepting mm-hmm. and being um, being open about mm-hmm. what you could do better next time. And we, right. we phrase it like that. It's not about what went wrong. Yeah. It's about, oh, lesson learned. This, next time I have this same scenario, I'm going to do this instead. Right.
1: Um.
0: And sharing that, because we all learn from one another's mistakes. Right. And I do really that key. as their leader as well. Um, yeah. I, I try to do that as frequently as it happens. Um, when something comes up, I will say, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I missed that. Next time I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, and and they speak to each other in the same way as well. And it's really a pleasure to see.
1: Yeah. And that's psychological safety, what we call it, right? Where yeah. people feel like it's, yeah. you know. And also learning by your mistakes. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a nice thing to have where people feel like it's okay to fail. Um, but I, I really like that. I do You know, want to mention that. I do want to probably pull you in a later time to talk about that sort of thing.
0: It's so um, important. It really is the foundation for getting any work done. It's okay to fail. And how do you share what you learned?
1: Yeah.
0: And not be afraid of sharing it.
1: So when you talk about like, uh, effectiveness, and I, I, I told you, you know what, mm-hmm. I, what I think it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, is, it, is it measured, or is it like something where you guys, you already told me that mm-hmm. you know your your productivity is is decreased mm-hmm. by what in half? You've cut the time in half it takes to mm-hmm. get projects done and mm-hmm. or programs done. So that's obviously. Right. A measurement, I guess. Right. But is there something that you guys use to to, um, to, look at it or do a retrospective of some sort where you guys are, are kind of measuring things?
0: We do We um, a retrospective or after action uh, review or a debrief. That's all built into every single project that we run. Um, so there's in in progress debriefs, mm-hmm. right? Where you're asking yeah. how is it going and you can course correct as you go through and you still document it. Uh, We use a project management software where we document immediately, both Mm -hmm. within the deliverable, as well as we look at overall project management of the entire project, what could be done differently, and celebrate the wins. So we always have wins, opportunities, and lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Took a long time to distinguish lessons learned from opportunities. A lesson learned is something that you... You have learned it. Now you know what to do. Whereas an opportunity is something we could do next time, keep it in mind. Hmm. Um, perhaps it's a concept or perhaps it's a, oh, we just missed the ball on that. We can't do it now. It's past yeah. that mark, but let's log it for next time. Um, right. So it's just little things like that really make a big difference. Yeah. But I think the important piece of that is distinguishing um, the technical specs, the specifications of wins, opportunities, lessons learned versus project management, right? How is my communication as the project manager? What else do you need from me? Was it really great the way that I did it? Should others maybe think about adopting those things and so on?
1: Yeah. Now, so there's there's a lot of um, – from what you've learned in this job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are there any things that you've learned um, in previous jobs that you brought Mm -hmm. into this one or – you know, we talked about from your travels and some of the things mm-hmm. you brought into in terms of balance. But are there anything that um, that you know that is a value that you've taken with you along the way to kind of build into to the way you manage now?
0: Absolutely. Um, I was a manager at a very young age, um, and actually, this idea about owning your failure and sharing it is something that I learned very early on in my in my career. Um, I actually learned that in Guatemala um, when I was working for a producer and exporter of handicrafts. Um, What's owner- a
1: handicraft? Handicraft. Uh, oh, handicraft. Handicrafts. Okay.
0: <laughs> know what that is?
1: Yes. Maybe uh, I said it
0: with an accent.
1: Handicraft. That's what <laughs> handicraft. I thought you said. <laughs> um, it's not you. It's so, me. Believe me.
0: All right. It's you and the bourbon. Um, I, I learned it there. You finished. And that? No, it's I like, haven't. Oh. I'm letting it get watered uh, down. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, no, I learned that early on, and uh, and I think something I know I struggled with early in my career was pride, mm. my own pride around mm. doing doing a great job, doing the best I could, um, always appearing to be perfect right, in, in right, my right. work,
1: right. Um,
0: and I don't know why, but that was definitely a driver for me can, uh, can i
1: ask you um did the pride come from either your father's or mother's side or was it just who you are or or just like you had a a vision of your or uh, yeah vision of yourself of how you needed to be you know and then you, yeah. you know you wanted to be a certain way and mm-hmm. what what was it you think
0: I think it I think it's innate I think it was me um mm-hmm. I know that my parents uh always helped me be better at whatever I wanted to do and they certainly pushed me a little bit, but I was always a straight A student and it sort of came easily to me and, and doing really well with something that made me happy um, throughout my childhood and adolescence, um, whether it was in sports or music or, or school. Um, but, but being great at what I was doing and sort of being perfect, um, I think, I, again, I was so young when I moved to Guatemala and started my career that. It was do or die. I had no money and I had no fallback plan. So, I wanted it to be absolutely perfect mm-hmm. so that I could continue with the job, potentially make more money, which was not very much money, <laughs> um, and and continue to learn and, and be greater all the time. But mm-hmm. what I didn't understand at that time was that I had to fail in order to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember even a very specific instance where… I was running the newsletter for the that organization, um, and the owner. Um, let me see. I sent the content. I had sent them, him the articles that I'd written, and he came back with all kinds of markups. And I was not prepared for that. And to yeah. me today, I laugh at it. And I say, well, of course, you should be. Nothing is ever written the first time. Yes, it's a first draft for a reason. But um, maybe it was because we hadn't talked about it and I didn't have any sort of expectations other than this is done. Um, and he sent it back without saying, um, I'm going to review it or, you know, send it to me and I'll review and send you back what I think. But I got it back and it was just bleeding, right, with with red markup. And um, I was so hurt and I was so angry Yeah. and I laugh at it now. I don't, I just can't even imagine. Um, but I was, I was very tied up in having it be perfectly done the first time around.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I have a story similar and it's uh, uh, where uh, out of college, uh, one of my best friends who ended up being my best man, and um, he, uh, sheepshagger is what I call him, because mm-hmm. that's what they call people from Wales, but his family's from Wales. <laughs> uh, and so he he was at this uh, electronics um you know, rep. They rep, They mm. represented electronics components and all this stuff. And he goes into a job, and the this engineer shows him a large um, blueprint mm-hmm. of all of the parts they needed. And yeah, this is the E thirty eight twenty seven. Like you know, and he's yeah. like looking at it, and the guy's going through all this stuff and harnesses and electrodes and all this. And uh, he says, "Hey, do you mind if I just take that with me?" And, oh yeah, sure. So he takes the whole schematic with him blueprint schematic of all these electronics and, and he brings it to another company brings it, sorry, back to his own company. And, and he says, uh, Hey guys, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, and now, you know, of course we always ask for need to ask for help, mm-hmm. but I was not there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was, I heard that story. and I'm like, I would have never, ever yeah. done that. My yeah. ego is just so big. I, I was just like, no, I, I'm going to figure it out. I could do it. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have ever done that. And he went on to become very successful. And so, so much to be said about humility and, mm-hmm. um, and, and just asking for help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just went to wisdom 2.0 and that was a lot. Uh, there's a lot of messages around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just ask. Yes. And there's a lot of sharing and people like people giving yep. their time to listen and, and to be heard. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, signs around us that, you know, that the point to that and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so, um, you know, it's taking me that long to figure it out. Right. Um, not until last weekend, but but like, (laughs) but like, it took me a long time and, uh, and, and it, it really is, um, it's a good lesson, but, uh, and I can't tell you, you know, what it was that really helps change me. Uh and I can't think mm-hmm. of anything significant. But when it happened for you, um, uh, was it an immediate lesson? So when you had some of these failures happen Was it like immediately you learned and changed or is it through years or what, how did, how long did it take you?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it wasn't years, but it definitely was not immediate either. Um, So
1: so your ego's getting away. You're saying, I wasn't slow to learn Chris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My ego was definitely in the way at that time. So I I started working with that company when I was um, 23, when I was 26, I became general manager just to give you an idea. So Mm -hmm. I was there for three years and a few months. Um, and somewhere along the way, um, I, one of my very best friends in Guatemala was also, she was a little older than me and had also become a general manager of a local, um, very large travel agency slash, uh, Spanish speaking school. a lot of tourists came to that area of Guatemala and learned the language. Mm. Um, and she, she and I were talking, um, about me taking on this new role and sort of what my first steps would be. And she, I asked her, what, what were your first steps when you became general manager? And she said, well, I hadn't expected it. So I literally sat down with my team and I said, right, what are we going to do? (laughs) And we had a good laugh at that. Um, And I really couldn't believe at that moment in my life, I remember thinking she's not serious, but she was serious. (laughs) She was absolutely serious. Those are literally the words she said. And, and she gained a lot from it. She gained trust. From these people who used to be her peers, but were now her direct reports. Um, and she gained sort of this awareness of what the reality was and bringing them into the reality that right. she may have this new role, but it's, she hasn't changed. Um, and uh, and I can't say I did it in the same way, but I, I took that to heart and I, I, all, I actually always come back to that when I'm taking on something new. Who do I need to talk to and ask, what do I do? Right? And Mm -hmm. what what can I do to prep myself for it? You know, now I know better around what are my resources first. But then you can always ask, what do I do? Here's what I think I see. What am I missing? Or what else do you think I should consider? Right, so it's, it's evolved, of course, over the years. But I think that it happened for me fairly quickly. So maybe within a year or so where I really understood it can't be about pride.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is a, this is really coincidental and, you know, all things happen for a reason. Mm. That same message of I don't know or uh, I need help or whatever has been resonating and coming up continuously mm. for me and from others to me and me, for, with me in discussion mm. for the past four days and part of it is the conference. And then before that probably it's been going on for about five days for me every single day, that message hmm. and uh, things happen for a reason. So I'm supposed to learn something here probably, <laughs> uh, or, or if I don't, then shame on me. But, um, but like, uh, the story that comes to mind on that is, uh, when I first got involved with OD about four years, five years ago, um, uh, organization development, I went to my hmm. first event and I was, uh, talking to somebody and, and I said yeah it's my first event and a gentleman said um, uh hey so uh you don't know who is speaking I said no and he said that this is like this is Ed Shine Ed Shine <laughs> the father of organization development Yeah and I said oh yeah okay all right that's good and I see him over <laughs> cool, there Ed, sitting yeah. over there and then, <laughs> and uh, he said he's no 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 he's like the rolling stones mm-hmm. of od yep. you know and i go all right, all right. and i went over and talked to him and he's a really nice guy and you know as mm-hmm. you and i had been putting on these events i came to know him mm-hmm.
0: and um i had my fangirl moment you did you did <laughs> I did. He did he's a <laughs>
1: great guy right so yeah. and so he actually signed a book that i bought
0: mm-hmm.
1: he said um to chris from the Mick Jagger of OD says him Ed Shine. So funny guy. <laughs> fantastic. But, but the thing I learned from him that was in his book Humble Consulting and his fantastic many books. Book, yeah. yeah, he he um, and and from a speaking engagement, he he basically says, you know, when he's um, in a gig or you know, uh, in a situation where he's just starting out with the client, oh. the words I Don't know is what he uses the first words he says when he's asked as being this guy who's supposed to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, his answer is, you know, what do you do? What do, what do you think? What do you think? You know, mm-hmm. and he says, I don't know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just it mm-hmm. was such a simple thing, and I really love that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and he himself lives by his book. I mean, he is a truly a humble person. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, know, you've met him.
0: I met him briefly. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you know, in his talks,
0: mm-hmm. th-
1: that's just who he is. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much about that. And we talked about the humility and, and mm-hmm. just saying like, you know, setting aside the ego and, um, so much more gets done with that. Right. Absolutely. Um, similarly, I'm writing a book and I went to um, Northern California, um, uh, speakers Association and they and 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 I uh they well what do you do what are you writing who are you you know <laughs> and I go I don't know what I'm doing but I'm starting a book and you know I don't know you know how mm-hmm. to you know get published all this stuff. and and as soon as I said that I people I, are so willing I, to I talk got a to billion you, you know yeah. opinions from it's all fantastic. at all levels yeah and it's because of that you know and um so it, opens doors. And I really truly believe that everybody wants to help. Mm -hmm. And that tells you right there, you know, if you start coming from the position of, Mm -hmm. I know, um,
0: I love that. And actually I'm really glad you brought up humble inquiry. I read that maybe in the last um, six years of my life or something. So that was after I started my current position where I had already heard seek to understand from my boss. And when I read humble inquiry, it brought it all home. Mm-hmm. I had already been practicing it a little bit, and humble inquiry really solidified my understanding and deepened it. And yeah, it would shine as a master, the Mick Jagger.
1: Mm, the Mick Jagger. <laughs> for sure. The Mick Jagger of OD.
0: Yeah.
1: What's the acronym for that? M-J-O-D, so. M-J-O-O-D? <laughs> uh, any Acronyms. Do they it's always not the have a. The name of a specific person. the gate? prepositions, do they have a letter <laughs> for those? Oh. oh, yeah. What did you say, Majod? <laughs>
0: Is that Isn't said? that a type of date? The fruit.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, A, a majode date. Yeah, uh, does sound like a derogatory comment. You're such a mango. That's
0: not what I said. <laughs> Don't twist my words. <laughs> uh,
1: well, um, I do want to um, get to the question. That I really like. I, I'm going to be asking everybody. I really like this question um, for myself and for and for others. is is what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself?
0: Mm. That is is actually a heavy question, I think. Um, I think we covered some of it. Don't be afraid to be wrong and make mistakes. Let go of your ego. Um, Although I think to my younger self, I might have to really explain what letting go of my ego would mean. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really grasped what that meant, right? Mm-hmm. That the pride that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. That's ego, purely ego driven. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when I reflect, I understand why a little more. Um, so don't be f- afraid to be wrong, make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, know that you can fix it, resolve it when it happens. Be bold. Don't have too much pride to say you're sorry, even if you don't mean it. You don't have to mean it. Sometimes saying you're sorry will help bring somebody else to the table. And then let it go. I have definitely spent a lot of time ruminating on things that don't matter in the end. Yeah, um, That I could have just been bold and said something and then resolved it later if I said something wrong. Or if I didn't say what I needed to say and go back and say it in a better way later. Um, so, right. letting it go is is big. And then I think something that I also have learned more recently in my career, um, also from Ed Shine, uh, is really personalize yourself at work. And that doesn't mean that you have to share all of yourself, um, but share some of yourself, hmm. some of your personal life. Because that's ultimately who, who we are, right? I said it earlier, we're, we are not our work. We're humans. And unless we connect on a human level that has nothing to do with the work that you're doing, it's much harder to maintain any relationship um, and to build that psychological safety that you brought up earlier. That's very crucial and that's definitely been something that I've experimented with how to do it best at the office, um, both in small teams, as well as Mm one-on-one formally and informally as well.
1: Yeah. I really like that. And that kind of um, when, when you, 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 you've learned a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, and I like that, you know, you've taken a lot of these things and put it into play. You know, I think sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people don't, and it's so easy to latch onto a saying, or phrase, or mm-hmm. or a mindset that you might have read about. Uh, of course, the best lessons are the ones that we learn about, learn through failure, and things like that. Um, when you do talk about sharing a little bit more of yourself, mm-hmm. um, personal mm-hmm. side, um, what does it look like? Like, what you know? What, give me an idea of a dialogue, either mm-hmm. and when when is it appropriate to do that?
0: Yeah. That's a great question. I think I mean, it's so specific to every organization's um, setup both their their literal their physical infrastructure as well as the cultural uh, infrastructure in the company. Um, you know, but everybody has a water cooler. Right? everybody has a place where you go to get water or coffee or tea. Um, and that's generally a great place to talk with someone more than just how's it going mm-hmm. um, being very specific about a thing hey that's a great jacket where'd you get it is different than I like your jacket Mm
1: -hmm. it opens
0: up different conversation yeah Um, when I travel and I come back I try to share a few highlights uh, with several not just my team but other others as well Uh, maybe somebody who asked me about it anybody who asked me about my trip actually they usually get a link (laughs) to see some photos Mm -hmm. um, and that helps helps build a little bit um, if they want to ask me follow-up questions then they will and that opens up that door uh, for me. Um, definitely one-on-one. When it's a formal one-on-one meeting between myself and my, my direct reports, I always start off with personal. How are you feeling? How's it going? How's the family? If I know about their pets, how's their pet doing? Um, pets are family too. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, sure.
0: Anything personal that I know about them that we may have talked about recently, especially if it was some sort of challenge they were going through, mm-hmm. I check in. Um, I don't always wait for that formal one-on-one. I generally try to check in quickly so they know that I care. It's not just I know a thing. That's mm, that's right. very important.
1: And when you're not able to... Uh, be coincidentally meeting somebody at the water cooler. Yeah. Um, is there something you also instill in like your meetings or, mm-hmm. or, you know, first thing Monday or, or some other time yeah than that. So it, it does happen. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so we've gotten away from it at this point, but for about two years, we were doing something called for the good of the group mm-hmm. at the beginning of every uh, weekly project meeting. We started off with for the good of the group, and it was rotational in nature. And somebody would bring something that they learned, and uh, that they wanted to share with the group. And it could be immediately applicable to to work or not. Um, mostly, it was applicable. Um, and and then we sort of naturally transitioned into from bringing something to saying something. Um, how was your weekend? And talking a little bit about whatever it was everyone did and making connections. So, we found connections on who likes to hike and who likes to do this or that. Yeah. So, very organic. And we're such a small group that we didn't need something more organized where you sort of, yeah. you know, say, who who hiked this weekend and give high fives or whatever. Yeah. There's only five of us. Yeah. Um, but so along those lines, um, I have some ideas in the future that I want to implement as well um, that will help us continue to come together. Uh, but. As it stands now, we're a very tight group and we Mm -hmm. haven't changed. So we know each other and we constantly check in.
1: The check-ins are always great. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You have uh, a trait of Project Aristotle, which is Google's most effective teams, where the commonality was at the beginning of every meeting. Of the most effective teams, they had very informal conversation mm-hmm. and talked about their weekend, and did all that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot to be said about that. And that was directly correlated with psychological safety mm-hmm. uh, and having um, any form of. Uh,
0: I think it's, you know, there's something I want to add to this that um, has been crucial for developing each of my team members. And I think another reason why I brought that up is also what you were saying about. Um, when a team has been together so long and things are going so well, what's next? And we're nearly there. I actually see it already, but they don't quite yet. I know that if I were gone for three to six months, they would be fine. They could absolutely run the show without me because they know it. They they completely understand it. Um, we've had one team member out on maternity leave for four months and she's been one of the stronger team members. And it's actually been really positive so that others who may have been in her shadow have now stepped up and really surprised themselves at how good they are and how many leadership qualities they have as well. Um and so I I see it happening I think soon uh they will see it as well. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of shining the light so to speak on um what they already know. I've been telling them more and more you you already know how to run the show. What do you think when they come to me with what would you like me to do? What, what do you think we should do? That's always, it's, it's that OD mirror that you hold back to someone. Well, what do you think? Where would you go with that? So um, one of my philosophies, philosophies is having them own it through proposal and recommendation. Don't come to me with what do you want? What do you think? Come to me with your proposal and your recommendation and you're going to back that up with evidence or data. Or feelings, if it's that, if it's just feelings around colors or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what the item is, but the work itself will continue uh, to to grow, and they'll be able to handle it with more ease, and that is is something that I'm I'm actually sure that they're ready for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's exciting for me to say that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good way to end it, right? So you know, there's you've figured out. Uh, how to get things done, and how to create teams, and how mm-hmm. to build on something, and uh, and it sounds like it's like a model that is pro- proliferating within itself. Like you know, mm-hmm. they they are kind of attributing to their own growth, and mm-hmm. and um, and like you said, you could be gone for a long period of time, and they could run itself, and that's what any manager I think would want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as a lot of pressure is being put on a lot of management these days to, to do everything. Mm -hmm. um, You know, there's uh, that, that goal, right. Where they might need a little break from having Mm -hmm. always have the answers to everybody's questions. So it sounds like you've reached a good point.
0: To plan my six month trip. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you. And uh, we, we, we have to have a piece of pumpkin pie.
0: We will have a piece of pumpkin pie. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that.
1: Yeah. Um, the pie was homemade by uh, a lady named Sarah. Um, Last name Lee? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know her. I've heard of her. Yeah. 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 Um, she's been in the neighborhood she's for a while. my cousin's grandma. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, uh, so we got to eat it. But uh but no, I, I, I wanna thank you for your time and um what you're able to share and um and as a friend, which we do our own bourbon at least what, every six weeks or so, I don't know. What, <laughs> um it, I look forward to that too. So thanks yeah. again and, and uh, you can't do it, cheers because you have Absolutely, even thank you. you. It's been an honor. Me. Yeah. So cheers. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Crystal Shafiel Buddy is a program director for a nonprofit who connects people in need to services available to them in the Santa Clara County. They're considered a large nonprofit with three offices and over a hundred employees. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you like this episode, share it out with a friend on Twitter or Instagram via at Bourbon or go to Facebook and you should find us there. As always. We want to hear from you so we can make bourbon and pie even better. So email us with ideas and questions at 411 at bourbonandpie.com. Our show is produced this week by Dr. Carl and Captain Mo with mixing by FM Mixmaster. Theme song written by Brock Scaressi and compiled by FM Mixmaster. Thanks to Dr. Carl for audio mastering and editing. Yay, we got this one out faster! Our unsung hero this week is my wife, Boom Boom, for always being there to inspire me and also putting up with me. I could see a small window opening in the near distance. I'm Chris Escobar saying that pie makes it happy and bourbon keeps it real. Be looking out for more bourbon and pie podcasts on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm still working on getting them up on other platforms, so be patient with me. But meanwhile, you can find me on the website on bourbonandpie.com and connect to the podcast from there. Thank you. This is a Boom Boom production. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> World Eating Champ out of the Midwest,
0: out of, <laughs> yeah, of Southern something Illinois. Like that. <laughs> Southern, I'm not from
1: Southern <coughs> Illinois. Oh what part of Illinois is it? First it's Illinois.
0: Mm. <laughs> Thank you very much. And it's fifty I'm... miles south of Chicago.
1: <laughs> so You mean I'm not supposed to say Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> Am I been saying it wrong all these years?